Me and Ernie are clearly in the Christmas spirit. I don't know about the rest of you guys, look kind of, but uh, me and Ernie have got it, uh, got it set today. And we are going to be talking uh, one more time about the Christmas story today, and we are focusing in this sermon series on the Christmas uh, stories in which uh, angels appear to different people and bring messages from God to people around the story of Christmas. And uh, today's story is a very well-known one. Um, in fact, uh, I, I posted a, uh, a sermon preview on uh, our Facebook page. I don't know if you guys saw that. But uh, it was Linus reading the very story that we're going to uh, be talking about today from the Charlie Brown Christmas special. So this is our story, is the, the uh, story of the shepherds and the angels. Um, and our, our, our focus of our, uh, of our series, our title has been Fear Not. Because that is what the uh, angels say each time they appear to people. They say, fear not. And we've looked at that and we've seen that it means a lot more than just, uh, don't be startled that there's an angel here. It means, I am here to tell you about why you do not need to be afraid. And then they talk about things that uh, deal with some of the, the big fears that we have in our lives. And uh, we're going to see that again today, that the, the message that these angels bring is, an angel, is a message that uh, calms our fears. So we're going to start out just by reading the whole uh, story here. This is in Luke chapter 2, so two of you can open your Bibles and the rest of you can open the Bible app on your phone and, uh, and follow along with me. And we're going to be on uh, Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8. It says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So let's pray before we start uh, talking about the, the passage here. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. We thank you that you have recorded for us this message that the angels brought on this first Christmas, and I pray now that you would open our hearts and open our minds to understand what it is that you want to say to us today through this angelic message. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so the first thing I want to point out to you about the story here of, that we uh, talked about is the setting of when these angels appeared to these shepherds. And the setting is um, that what is going on over in Bethlehem on this particular night 
is the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. And we're going to talk more about why it was so important in a minute here, but, but here it is. It's the most important thing ever, but it's happening very inconspicuously, right? Only a couple of people understand the significance of this event that's taking place. And so God wants to get the word out and let people know what is going on. And so he sends his messengers to announce it, to spread the word about this greatest event that has ever happened. And so who does God send his messengers to? Well, the most important event in the world should be announced to the most important people in the world, right? So the angels ought to go to Rome and they, they could stand in the, on the floor of the imperial senate and speak to all the senators and the Caesar in Rome and announce to them what is going on. These guys ruled most of Europe, most of the Middle East, North Africa. The angels could have, could have got the word out very uh, big in a big way to these very important people, these rulers of the world. Or maybe the angels could have gone to the intellectual leaders of the world instead. Not political, but let's go to the intellectual leaders. In this, at this time, there was the Areopagus in Athens was the place where the greatest minds all gathered together to discuss the latest philosophies and religions and scientific uh, theories and things. So, so the angel could have gone to Athens. But God does not regard the rulers of the nations and the important people the way that we do. So you'd think, no, God is going to send his announcement to the religious leaders of his chosen people, right? The Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, the leaders of, of, uh, of, the, of the Jewish religion, the high priest of God's temple, and the, 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 all the chief priests. You'd think God would send them there. But God doesn't send his messengers to those people either. Shepherds. And not even the, the guys who are relatively wealthy and important owners of the sheep. No, it's the guys who they hired to be out there at night, out in the field, sleeping on the ground and watching the sheep. These were low-skill, blue-collar guys. They were like the migrant farm workers of today. Right? If they lived in America today, they'd be earning minimum wage and living in a trailer park. And by the standards of society, shepherds were low down near the bottom of the social scale. But God sees the world differently. God cares about the poor, about the outcasts of society, and the disadvantaged. And it is to a few Jewish shepherds that God sends his angels to announce the most important event ever to happen in the history of the world. That's who God wanted to make sure knew about it. Because God cares for the poor and the lowly. Now, there's two applications that I want to make from this uh, first point of the story here. One is that no matter how insignificant you might think you are in this great big world, 
never think that you are unimportant to God. Sometimes when the people around us don't seem to care, we think that there's nobody who cares. But that's not true. You see, God sent his messengers to shepherds. So God cares about you. And God cares about the people whose job it is to take out the trash and clean the floors. He cares about the students with a C average. He cares about the unemployed people who are on food stamps. The Bible puts it like this. It says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? So if you feel like you're not good enough, if you feel like things have happened in your past that have lowered your value in God's sight, you're wrong. God chose shepherds. The second application from this point is that uh, we too need to care about the poor. So ask yourself this, is my attitude toward the poor and those of humble position similar to God's attitude? You see, God holds the poor and the humble in high esteem. And if God cares about the poor, we need to care about the poor. And that means more than just uh, to do them no harm, right? It means that we need to seek out the poor and the needy and show them honor and respect, like God did on that first Christmas. And one way to do that is to reach out to the people that you interact with, some maybe even right here in our church or in our community, people who are poor in the eyes of the world, right? So just be a friend. <laughs> Invite them for a holiday dinner. Give them a Christmas present, whatever. Just be friendly, be kind, show them respect. Another way that you can reflect God's concern for the poor and lowly in this season of excessive shopping and consuming where half the time we're like, man, what can I get for that friend of mine? He already has everything he wants. I got to get really creative to come up with some kind of gift I can give this person. There are people out there who have real needs. <laughs> and maybe, sure, get a gift for your friend too, but maybe you could steer some of that money to spending it for people who have genuine needs. And there's a number of good ways to do that, but I want to recommend the Samaritan's Purse Christmas Catalog. Um, they used to actually print a paper catalog. I haven't seen one of those in a while, but it's still there on their website. Um, you can go to samaritanspurse.org, and you can find their Christmas catalog where they have all these Christmas gifts that you can purchase for people around the world. Um, gifts like a clean water system to protect the poor from waterborne illnesses. Or help for vulnerable women. Because, see, women in impoverished communities often bear the responsibility of raising their families and managing their households without access to proper support and resources. And many of them also have emotional wounds from abuse and abandonment and exploitation. And so Samaritan's Purse is out there showing Christ's love to these strong women and supporting them with education, with medical care, counseling and resources to live healthy lives and raise thriving families. 
And on this year's catalog, they don't actually have a sheep that you can give, but they do have goats and chickens that you can give to like a real shepherd type person and, uh, and do just like the Christmas story. So, so go to SamaritansPurse.org and show that you care for the poor the way that God cares for the poor. And if you're one of those multitasking people, you can pretend you're, you don't even have to pretend that you're still looking at the Bible app. You can just pull it up right now and you can uh, get on your phone right now and go to SamaritansPurse.org and uh, show your love and concern for the poor. Um, so God still cares for the poor and lonely. He sends his angels to shepherds. And that's part of the Christmas story that we need to remember in the Christmas season. So now when, when God sends his messengers to these shepherds, at first there's just one angel, and we're going to look at what he has to say, and then we'll look at what all the rest of the angels have to say um, once, once the rest of them show up. So here's what that first angel had to say, uh, verse 10, Luke chapter 2. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David has been born to you, or sorry, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The angel says that this is great, uh, good news that will cause great joy. And, you know, there's no shortage of bad news in the world today, right? I mean, every time you turn on the news, it's about 98% bad news. Um, But uh, good news that brings great joy, you don't hear that very often. (laughs) Um, But this news that this angel is bringing here is actually the best news that you have ever heard. And you might not realize just how good and great this news is and the kind of joy that it ought to produce, but, but as we go on, I think you'll come to see that this really is the reason for greatest joy. And the key word in this message of the angel here that makes this news so good is the word Savior. He says, a Savior has been born. So what does that mean? What does that mean, a Savior? Is the angel saying that uh, this baby is going to grow up and he's going to work at the Sea of Galilee beach as a lifeguard and save a lot of people from drowning? No, no. Uh, It's a very great thing to save people from a watery death, but the saving that we're talking about here is a much more significant saving than that. And yes, I'm saying that the saving that Jesus does is more significant than saving us from death. And if you think about that for a second, that's, that's a big deal. What kind of saving are we talking about here that's a bigger deal than death itself? Well, lots of Jewish people at this time were looking for a political savior who would come and save them from the Roman Empire. Right? So they were occupied by a foreign nation who had conquered them sometime in the past, and they were longing to be free. And they wanted a political ruler to come and lead them out of their national problems. And a lot of people today are also looking for a political solution to all of our problems. They're looking for a leader who will come and unite us. We see the economy struggling to recover. We see high inflation. We want our elected leaders to save us from financial disaster. We see how divided our country is over all kinds of social and political issues. And many are looking and longing for a leader who will unite the country 
or at least get 60%. (laughs) But we, we want someone to come and lead us to peace and prosperity. But as great as that might be, the Savior that came on Christmas will save us in a much more significant way than that. And we need to look at another angelic message to see what kind of saving we're actually talking about here. And uh, Mike is going to talk about this one next Sunday at the pancake thing, but we're going to get a little preview of it here. This is uh, from Matthew chapter 1, when an angel appears to uh, Joseph, and it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus is going to grow up to save people from their sins. Now, there's two questions about that salvation that I want to answer. First, why do we need to be saved from our sins? Right? When somebody is drowning in the Sea of Galilee, it's very obvious why they need to be saved. Or if you're under political oppression and you've got a foreign uh, occupying army in your country, it's very obvious why you want to be saved. But to some of us, the need for a savior from sin, not as obvious. There's a lot of people who hear, Jesus will save you from your sins, and they say, eh, don't think I need that. And so... The presence of sin in our world in general, I think most people can see that. It's kind of hard to deny that there is sin in our world. Um, Remember all that bad news I mentioned earlier? Most of it is about various people sinning against other people and causing all kinds of problems. It's easy for us to see the sinfulness of these guys in the news, right? The murderers, the terrorists, the corrupt politicians. Those guys are clearly sinners. But for some of us, It's harder to see ourselves as sinners who are in need of someone to come and save us from our sins. We compare ourselves to others and we think, you know, I'm not half as bad as those other guys. Our own little faults, not that big a deal. You know, so I tell a few little lies here and there. Everybody does that. Nobody gets hurt. Or you say, yeah, I occasionally spread gossip about people I know, but, you know, really they deserve it because they do such scandalous things. Or they say, everybody cheats at school. It's not that big of a deal. (laughs) But here's the thing. Sin is sin. The standard is perfection, and none of us come close. The Bible says this. It says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism... You sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So see, according to the Bible, even what seems to us to be a pretty small sin of showing favoritism is enough to make you guilty of breaking the whole law. The Bible also talks about another particular kind of sin that none of us is able to avoid. This is just in the next chapter here. He says, We all stumble in many ways. 
Anyone who is never fault, at fault in what he, they say is perfect, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You see, according to the Bible, the sin that is in our words that come out of our mouths is a deadly poison, which means that it hurts the people around us, and no one can tame the tongue we are all sinners. So then if you're, if you're ready to admit that you're a sinner, then comes the second question. What does it mean that Jesus will save me from my sins? Well, the consequences of our sins are many. The, the poison of our sins that pollutes our lives and, uh, and hurts the people around us, uh, that's one consequence. The world in we live in is uh, full of suffering from the effects of all the sinfulness of all the people in it. That suffering is all around us. Sin has messed things up on a worldwide scale. But each of us also messes up our own lives and the lives of the people around us. And we need someone to come and save us and repair our messed up lives. But there's an even bigger consequence of sin, and that is that it makes us guilty before God. You see, God is the ruler of the universe, and His justice is supreme. And so, sin must be punished. Justice demands it. And the punishment for sin is death. And it's not just physical death, although physical death is also one of the consequences of sin. But it's eternal spiritual death, complete and total separation from the God who is the source of all life. And that is what you and I need to be saved from. That is who this baby is that these angels are talking about. He is the one who will save us from our sins. In the book of Colossians, it says, He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So our guilt before God has been taken away and nailed to the cross. So we celebrate the arrival of the Savior at Christmas time, but Jesus didn't actually save us at Christmas. Right? He arrived to save us, but his actual saving work came about 30 years later when he did his sacrificial work on the cross, when he died for our sins. And it's that last part of the, of the first angel's message that I want to talk about uh, this morning is the baby's identity. Uh, we have said what the baby's going to do. He's going to come and be a savior. But who is this baby? And the answer there in uh, verse 11, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The baby is the Lord. He is God. You see, God loved us so much that He Himself came to earth to save us. That little baby that the angels announced to the shepherds is God living in human flesh. You see, when God saw that we needed a Savior, 
He didn't just raise up a prophet to teach us the way. He didn't just inspire a great leader to lead us out of our problems. God himself came to save us. In the Gospel of John, it puts it like this. It says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You see, God's justice demanded that the penalty for sin must be paid. But God's love and his mercy caused him to come down to earth and pay that penalty himself. God himself came to earth to save us. I keep repeating that, that little part there because it, it's, it's, it's really an unbelievable fact. And sometimes we just kind of gloss over it, but think about that. It's hard for us to really even grasp the full significance of this idea that God himself came. That's what Christmas really is, is the coming of God down to earth to save us. So it's no wonder that the angels, who really did understand the significance of God coming to earth to save sinful people, responded by praising God and, and, and singing out, Glory to God in the highest heaven. So the most important response that we should have to the coming of Jesus on that first Christmas is to accept His salvation. Right? The second response is to do what the angels did here, to glorify, praise, and worship God. And there's only one other thing about what the large group of angels had to say that I want to talk about, and it is the promise of peace on earth. The peace that the angels are promising here is the peace that accompanies salvation. You see, it is peace between God and people. When we choose to sin, we make ourselves enemies of God. But through the coming of Jesus at Christmas, God has made peace between us. The theological word for that is reconciliation. And it means that despite all that we have done to ruin our relationship with God and to offend Him, God has done everything to bring us back together in peace. And so if you want this peace with God... There is only one way to get it, and it is not through meditation or prayer or doing good deeds or being a nice person or putting lots of money in the offering or getting baptized or joining the church. If you do all those things, the other people around you will think, wow, that person's a really good Christian, but none of that will impress God. The way to peace with God is to give up on trying to be good enough and putting your faith instead in His payment for your sins instead of you trying to pay for your sins yourself. What you must do is simply confess your sinfulness to God and ask God to count Jesus' payment uh, as a payment for your sins. It's to accept the free gift of God's grace as a free gift. That's the only way to be saved from your sins and find true peace. 
And everyone who takes that step and accepts salvation begins a new life. It's a life in which the good news of the Savior is real to you. It's a life in which you have a reason to glorify and worship God. And it's a life of real peace. So how did these lowly shepherds respond to this good news of great joy? Well, they did three things. First, they went and checked things out for themselves. They didn't just want to hear about God's salvation. They wanted to see it and experience it for themselves. So in verse 20, it says, uh, the shepherds... uh, Oh, sorry, no. So they they went and saw it themselves. So that part I'm not going to read. Then there's the next part is what they did after they went and saw it in verse 20. Verse 20, it says, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. So after they had gone and seen it for themselves, they rejoiced and worshiped God. That's the second response. First, you want to experience this salvation for yourself. Investigate and see it for yourself. Experience it for yourself. Secondly, worship God. Um, And those those are both big things for us. We need to experience God's salvation. We don't just hear about it. We need to respond in faith to the, uh, to the offer of salvation. And then we need to respond with praise and worship to God for His love and mercy. But there's one more thing also that they did that is important for us to do as well. And that comes in verse 17 and 18, where it says, When they had seen Him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. See, they didn't keep it to themselves. They spread the word. They really didn't know a lot about Jesus, but what they did know, they told others. And we also need to help others to learn about the Savior. And we can help them find the peace that was made possible by God coming to us on Christmas morning. People need peace. And they can only get it through Jesus. And Christmas is a great season for spiritual conversations because everyone's already thinking about Christmas time and talking about Christmas time. And so it's a great segue into talking about the birth of Jesus. So look for opportunities to tell people about the significance of the birth of the Savior and why it's important to you. Or at least invite them to Christmas Eve service or to a pancake breakfast or You know, get them into church where they can hear the gospel message. So so there's three things then, three responses. Be like the shepherds. Find out and experience this uh, salvation for yourself. Go and see. That means do whatever you need to do to find out more about it and, and experience salvation for yourself. Secondly, we need to worship God. We need to praise Him and express our gratitude to Him for the good things that He has done for us. And thirdly, we need to tell others about the Savior. Let's pray together. Our Father, Your grace and Your mercy toward us in coming on Christmas is great. And we thank you. We worship you for the good thing that you've done for us in saving us from our sins. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage, give us the strength to 
to apply it in all three of those ways that we just talked about. I pray that we would have the courage to speak to others about uh, your salvation. Lord, I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.